Welcome to Replenish Hope. I am your host, Denise Castro. Hi, welcome to Replenish Hope, and I am your host today, Denise Castro, and today we have a lovely guest. We have a friend of mine, Diane Valle. Welcome. Thank you for saying yes, friend. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I know. I, we were chatting a little bit like a few seconds ago mm -hmm. saying how natural she is. Oh. <laughs> she is gorgeous, people. Oh. You will see her picture <laughs> on my Insta, but she is gorgeous inside out and she's a natural. So I am really happy to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for asking me to come. And I'm excited to what God wants to share tonight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have uh, an amazing story of hope. I mean, I've heard little snippets here and there, and I'm I'm really excited and forward to listen to hear and learn more today. So, Diane, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I mean, I guess I can share. I'm going to share a little bit of my beginning. You know how I got to. I guess this place where I'm currently at, you know, in my relationship yeah. with God and in general in life, you know, um, uh -huh. I was brought up in a pretty rough home as you know, I mean, I'm sure there's others that, you know, go through others, rough, rougher situations. But for me, I mean, my parents, you know, they brought me and my siblings up in a home with a lot of like violence and drug use and alcoholism. But, you know, mm. God is so faithful in the midst of all of that. Mm. He had my grandma, you know, and how they say like, you know, there's just like that one person, like sometimes it could be your mom, you know, that's praying mm -hmm. for you. But this was my my nana, you know, and she would pray for us wow. all the time. And from your mom's side or your my mom's mom. Wow. We actually don't even know my dad's side of the family. He's been an orphan since he was, he was on the street since he was a teenager. Wow. But um, she's the one that brought me to the Lord when I was a little girl. And that was like my escape from home to go to church. <laughs> and my brothers would not want to go. They were like, we don't want to go to church and clap and sing, yeah. you know, the Pentecostal and apostolic church. You're there like all day. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed it, huh? I did. It was just like, I felt peace from the chaos of home every day, you know, just so much going on. So at you home. were connected to it or and to God very young. Yeah, I was drawn to it. I used wow. to love going. I mean, and it's funny because nobody wanted to hang out with my grandma because they're like, oh no, if you spend the weekend with her, you have to wake up early and you got to go to church. And then every night before she goes to bed, she sits on her knees and she prays for like 30 minutes for every single individual in the whole family. Wow. She would sit there and just, you know, like pray for her kids and for her grandkids and family and I would I like that I was I enjoyed it because it was like my comfort because mm -hmm. at home I had to be an adult and with her I was able to be a, a child <laughs> wow yeah and so growing up with that I think like I got a lot of resentment you know with my parents because I would go to other people's homes and I would see it was normal like mom would come home from work my friends they're dad would pick them up or their mom would pick them up and my friends would have, you know, their nice bows on and clean clothes. And I'm here, like, I would have to come home and I'm like, I don't have no clean clothes, mom. And my mom would be not home sometimes, gone for days. I was like six, seven years old, babysitting my siblings. You know, my parents would be gone for a day or two. You were the oldest, correct? I'm the oldest, yes, of four. Of four. At the time, it was just three of us. Okay. So with that, it's like, you know, you grow up and it's like, I... I was drawn to the things of God, but when I went through my teenage stage, 
with all that that I had bottled up inside, I did give my life to the Lord at 15. You know, there was an altar call and I just felt God just say go because it was when my mom went into rehab. I was 15 years old and it was at the last. I mean, we had gotten into fights. I mean, me and my mom, you know, it was really like she slapped me one time. And that was like when I called my grandma and I said, I can't live here no more. I can't live with her. She's out of control. She had because she had a lot of anger or is it with a mixture of drugs uh, and-, and anger? Yeah. And she was looking for my dad and there was infidelity, mm. you know, so with all that comes just, you know, insecurities. And she's like, where's your dad? And I was like, all the frustration. I don't know. And she slapped me. And that was the last thing, the last thing. And after that, my grandma and my aunt put her in rehab. So it was like maybe a couple of weeks after she was in rehab and like they were doing an altar call for baptisms. And I just felt like God tell me, like, if you give your life to me, I will save your mom. So I just jumped in and I said, I want to get baptized. And my mm-hmm. little sister came with me. She's mm-hmm. like, I want to get baptized too. My grandma's like, no, she's too young. She was like, maybe like 12. Okay. And I was like, maybe 14, 15. And, um, yeah, my mom got out of rehab. It wasn't easy when she came out cause my dad wanted to leave, you know, because of everything that they had gone through. Mm-hmm. But so when she came out of rehab, I went into rebellion. I didn't want to go to church. It's no like more. it switched. She was switched. getting better. Now you were not used mm-hmm. to that. Oh, wow. And she was struggling with her recovery because mm-hmm. coming out of recovery, she had like, she was waking up from a nightmare. Like oh her home was a disaster. Her kids, like she didn't know her kids. Her husband was going to leave. She faced reality. Exactly. No longer hiding in denial. No more. And seeing like what she had cre- like caused. Created, yeah. yeah. And she had a like. Or the addiction in her in that time. At that time and facing, mm. you know, because when you come out of that addiction, you have to be, oh my gosh, you know, I'm mad at my mom. She was mad at my grandma, you know, for mm. My grandma was a, mo- a single mother of 12. My grandfather died. So my mom was a baby of 12. They wow. sent her to live here in the States with the sister of my grandma's. So she had resentment of rejection, you know, so all those things. And then I had rejection, you know, because my mom made me be a mom at like six, seven years old. I mean, all your foundation years in childhood, mm-hmm. she, mom and your mom and dad were not present. They were, they were there, but not, not there, there, you know, mm. I mean, like now that I have healed, you know, back then, if you would have asked me, I would have been like, no, but now I'm like, you know, they did give me the best, like that they could at that time, because, you know, it's like, how could you give something that you don't have when you're broken? Exactly. Create brokenness in other people. Exactly. Or the closest people are. Yeah. We were in that home with them. And so Mm. when she came out of rehab, that's when I was like, I think I was in, yeah, I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started to hang out with certain friends and that led to going out to parties and drinking and using drugs and experimenting with drugs. You, you did know. too? Yes. Oh. Girl, <laughs> I don't want to say <laughs> what I tried, no. but it was more than just, you know, marijuana, you know? Wow. Yes. But then I, but then as soon as I started to, you know, get into my senior year and I got out of high school. I mean, I got pregnant when I was 18, like a year after high school. I graduated in 03, my son, November 2004. Okay. But when I got out of high school, I started to think like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same thing as the person that I hate, my mom. Yeah. I'm becoming a, a drug addict. Like, I mean, I was smoking weed almost every day. Wow. You know, because back then, I mean, they didn't test me at my work, you know. My boss used to buy me beer. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I was going to TJ all the time and I was partying and then I get pregnant. Wow. And I remember 
my ex, you know, he was very um, verbal with me, abusive. Mm -hmm. So my self-esteem was so low. He would just tell me things that, you know, that I was not worthy, that I wanted too much in life, you know, that I desired to, because I would be like, oh, you know, we want to buy a house in the future. And he's like, oh, you want too much in life. You need to settle. You need to settle. Wow. But, you know, you know, when there's something inside of you that you're like, there's more to life than what I've been given. I'm not going to be, even though I was pregnant, I was like, I choose not to be a product of my environment, you know, because my parents didn't have a lot when we grew up. I mean, we were very poor. Mm-hmm. My dad used to sell drugs to support us and people would come knocking on our door looking for him I would get in the car with him and go drop do drops and leave a car there and we would leave on the bus and TJ and Rosarito and he was in and out of jail and Mm -hmm. you know so many things that you're just like as a kid kind of don't understand but when you get older you're like oh that's what he was doing you know yeah so anyways when I realized what I was doing when I was pregnant from I didn't know I was pregnant from my son and I was drinking and everything and I was already starting to get tired of that lifestyle because I mean to be honest I had a neighbor, she was a lot older than me, and I started going out with her since I, I started drinking and partying with her when I was in middle school. Wow. I mean, I was so young, like 12 years old, 13 years old. I have a 15-year-old. I'm like, at his age, I was so bad. And I'm like, thank God, you know, mm-hmm. he's not living in that lifestyle, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so when I found that I was pregnant, I wanted to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm 18 years old. Mm-hmm. I I'm barely going back to college, you know, because I took a year off from school and I was like, I'm, I want to go to college. I want to have a good, you know, I want to be able to provide. How How is a child going to have a child? You know, mm-hmm. my mom's still dealing with her recovery. Our home is still a mess. My dad was still using at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I told his dad, I was like, I'm not having this baby. Wow. I said, I'm having an abortion. I went to Planned Parenthood. I had my appointment. Everything. I had everything planned out. My best friend at the time, I said, I'm going to tell my mom I'm staying at your house this weekend and I'm having this abortion. Wow. But something inside of me couldn't like, you know, it's just like, like how it says common sense. Like I was just like, that's not what I was raised to believe, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is a child inside of me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I said, I told his dad, I said, okay, I'm going to have this baby. I can't go through. So I was hoping I would have a miscarriage because I had a miscarriage before that. Okay. And, um, and I didn't. So I was like four months pregnant. I was like, I got to tell my mom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then I told her four months in, "Mm -hmm." I was scared. I didn't find out until I was almost like two and a half, three months. So I was, you were tiny then. I, yeah, because I <laughs> because didn't show, even with all my pregnancies now, I start showing like around six months. Wow. So that happened, you know, I had my baby and I was so depressed, like mm. after, because I was in a bad relationship and I found myself at a grocery store, like in the shopping center one day and I was just crying. I couldn't go home and I was like, God, like I'm tired. Like I just literally, I was just crying. I told God, like, I can't do this anymore. Like I was like. I'm just going to go jump off the bridge or do like, I wanted to kill myself. I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I was so depressed. Like I had like no vision, no desire, no passion, nothing that was driving me to live. You know, I had my son, but I couldn't see that at the time because, Mm -hmm. you know, pain and rejection and hurt, it blinds you from your blessing. It had no hope. Exactly. And, um, I met my husband. What? <laughs> I met Jorge. I, went, I I had left my old job because I didn't have daycare uh-huh. and I was going to school. Uh-huh. And um, my friend, 
uh, the one that was going to take me to get the abortion. Uh-huh. She's like, hey, they're hiring at Outback. Come be a host. It's only in the evenings. By that time, your parents are home. They can help with Johnny. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. And I met Jorge. What? I didn't know that. And that's how we met at Outback. Uh-huh. And he had a Christian background. And so one night we were talking and we we're like, yeah, we want to get back to it eventually. I mean, he was a big party boy at the time. <laughs> like, you know, so I started partying with him and we were going out. And I mean, he was so nice to me and he would open the door and, you know, just be such a gentleman. And he I loved would, you since day one. I'm pretty he, sure. He did. <laughs> that's what he says. He's like, the moment I saw you and I didn't want nothing. To do I with know. Him. <laughs> And I was like, no way. My friend's like, he's a good guy. He's so nice. And I was like, no, no, How no. How old were you by this I time? I was at 21 already. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So we met when we were 21. I had just broken up with, you know, Johnny's dad. So mm-hmm. that's another reason I didn't want to date. I was like, I need to figure things out, you know? Yeah. You're still broken from that. Yeah. And so his sister gets baptized. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey, you know, my sister's getting baptized. You want to come with me? And I'm like, sure. You know, like I have a background of you know, Christianity, yeah. like I won't be freaked out. Uh-huh. So we go, we go to Lighthouse. Oh, really? And that was the first time I went. And when I went, like there was just something inside of me that felt so good. And we both walked out and we were like, that felt really good to be back in church. Like, and then we still went and partied, you know, yeah, like yeah. for a couple months. And then since his sister got saved, she started having Bible studies. And then, so then he started getting plugged in and then he was like, Hey, you want to come? And I was like, okay. So then I started coming and then he got baptized. And then when he got baptized, we broke up Mm -hmm. and, um, and that hurt me so much because I was like, man, you know, this is a good person. Like he's so good to me. Like he treats me so good, you know, like I've never had anybody treat me that way. Yeah. Not even my own father, you know, mm-hmm. how they say like, you know, father validates, you know, their daughter's worth, you know, mm-hmm. like you're beautiful, or, you know, value yourself, you know, in certain ways. But he was just so, and I was just so broken. Mm-hmm. And I remember that day after church, like going home and I just was crying. And I just remember opening my Bible mm-hmm. and I was just crying. And I said, God, I don't know what, what, what are you trying to do? Like, mm-hmm. I'm happy with this person and he takes me to a scripture. Literally, I opened my Bible with tears. I mean, I was crying my head off. Mm-hmm. And it was Psalms 37, 4. Mm-hmm. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Wow. You know, and I was just like, okay, what are you saying, God? You know, and that was on Sunday. So Wednesday came. That was when they still had Wednesday night service. Uh-huh. So my mom's like, you're going to go to church. I started to get ready. And she's like, don't go. He doesn't want you. Like, no seas arrimada, like, no te quiere. You know, he doesn't want you. Yeah. And I was just like, something inside of me was like, keep pressing. Go. Go for you. Mm-hmm. You know, because you still have all that hurt. You know, you still have all that pain. That depression is still bottled up inside, but you've been suppressing it for so long, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went that Wednesday, and I just kept going to church, and everybody was like, you know, wanting to see like the group that we were at the time, they Mm -hmm. were like, you know, if she wants God, she's going to come for her. Not, not for you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I told them I'm here for me, you know, like we're friends now. I care about you, but if it's meant to be, it's going to be, you know? And so we were off and on for so long. We would break up, get back together. Mm. And so anyways, through that process of me and Jorge being broken up within those seven years, that's when I began to really like, seek God and seek my healing. And in the midst of that, my dad stopped using drugs. 
Oh, wow. In that time. In that time period, I remember I came home one day and him and my mom were fighting. She had the door locked on him. I just had came back from a Bible study. Oh, my gosh. So I was like, you know, I'll fire for the yeah, Lord. Yeah, I yeah. was like, I can conquer anything, you know. Yeah. So my dad's like banging at the door, drunk and high. Oh, my gosh. And my mom's like, don't you open the door for him. I'm done with him. I'm leaving him, which was what they would always say, but they never fully went through with it. Yeah. And so long story short, I opened the door and I grabbed both of them and I said, we're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray right now. Yeah. You know, I was all bold. Yeah. 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 I was like, you're not going to quench my fire. Yeah. Yeah. So I grabbed their hands and I just began to pray. I don't even know. It was the Holy Spirit. He just began to pray through me. And ever since that day, my dad has not used or drank a ounce of alcohol wow god did it that night and he shares it when he shares his testimony he always says that night my daughter was used by god to break that off of me i mean it was just god took over that moment i mean and we prayed and my mom didn't want to hold his hands and i said well, you better hold his hands at boldness <laughs> i was like i didn't even know i had that in yeah, me like, i was what? like how am i gonna yell at my mom like that you know yeah. but anyways like that happened and they were at their own church and then I was going to Lighthouse and they were uh-huh. going to their church and, you know, our home, like our home, like my sister was one place and I was one place and everything. But I was like, I have to get my healing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, through all of that, like I received the Holy Spirit and I began to just really seek God and just, you know, get myself involved. And it was in 2009, I went to this conference mm-hmm. and it was Juanita Bynum conference. Okay. And I just like, I, I was like, man, you know, like I had a feeling like that I was connected to her in one way. You know how you when you meet somebody, you're like, I just have a connection with this person. Mm-hmm. So anyways, like she she has like those prayer sheets that she does, right? The cloths and, and sheets and stuff like that, you know, so she came to me. And wow. she didn't even give me a sheet. She gave me her talit. Uh-huh. And she said, you come here. And I'm like looking around like me. Can you tell what a talit is to the people who are not yes. Christian? So a talit is, yeah. um, it's like a prayer garment that the Jewish people wear that they put over themselves to pray. So it's, it's it looks like a blanket. Mm-hmm. It's like the easiest way to explain it. But it's symbolic, you know. It's a symbol. A symbol, yes. A special and, one. Yes, that the rabbis use when they pray or, or you know, when they teach or when, you know, the mm-hmm. holy holy days. Wow! So she went over there and she gave it to. You. So Juanita Bayam, she is like a well known. Yes, yeah, she's a well known. Um, you can say preacher. She's been, uh, you know, sing. She sings. She's came out in movies. She's done. I think it was like divorce. Yeah, or, or she's something. She's a writer and a author, I mean, she's an author. And, and yeah, all New these. York Times bestseller. I mean, she's been around the world and yeah. preached the gospel. You so it's a big moment for you too. Yeah. So when she called me out and then when she, she put that talit over me and she prayed over me and I just felt God tell me you have to move to Atlanta. And that was in August of 2009. Oh my gosh. And I was like, no, no way. You know, like I have a kid at home. Like, what am I going to do in Atlanta? She had just started a church a few, like maybe like a, a year before that. Uh-huh. So anyway, so when I sat down with her, she was like just telling me like, I believe that God has a great calling over your life. And if you come and sit under me, you know, um, I believe God wants to use you, you know. And a year or two before that, she had came to another ministry where I seen her at Dr. Michelle Corral's ministry. Yeah. 
So when, excuse yeah, me. No, no, go ahead. So when people say like sitting under you is pretty much like mentoring, mentorship, and a lot of uh, leadership and a lot of like one on ones. Yes. So it's like you're having an experience with the like the best CEO of whatever you desire, exactly. and you're having that complete access, and she's willing to give you that access. Yes. So. Just for yes, all the no, folks. Thank you for yeah, no problem. no problem. I know you just get used to this terminology. I know. Christ- everybody <laughs> to understand. <laughs> so it's like Christianese. Yes, but, but it's true. It's, it's all good. So anyways, I go to Atlanta and I move back. And at that time, I was just going to be like going to her church. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't have no friends or anything. So I just used to go to her um, call center every day excuse me, and volunteer at the call center, take mm-hmm. the calls, send books out, videos, whatever people were doing, right? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And um, she was always in and out of there, you know, she would see me. And then like within like two weeks, um, she was like, hey, can I talk to you in the office? Or like Dr. Bynum and at the moment her manager, mm-hmm. um, they're like, they want to talk to you. So I go in there and I'm like nervous because it's like kind of like you're like, oh, like this is like Beyonce calling me into her <laughs> office, you know, at that time. That's what you It's see. like Titty Jakes, the yes, version. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Female version. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my God, what is she, like, did I mess up on something? You I know, know. Did, did I set the wrong order? Yeah. Did somebody <laughs> complain about this little Hispanic because it's all African American? Yeah. yeah. So everybody's like, who's this little Hispanic girl acting like she's African American? <laughs> <laughs> Praising God like that. And yeah. so I go in there and she was like, do you have a job yet? And I'm like, no, I've just been volunteering and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing where I'm going to look for work. I don't know at the moment. She was like, how would you like to be my personal assistant? And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, she was like, you know, if you want it, it's yours. And I was like, OK. All right. So she's like, OK, start today. And I was like, OK. Uh-huh. And that's how my mentorship pretty much started with her at that time, you know, and Sometimes I didn't even do nothing. She was like, I just want you to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I want you to fix my things or run errands for me. And at first it was just more, I would help her at home, not mm-hmm. really travel. But within a month, she was like, I want you to start traveling with me. We're wow. going to go here. We're going to go there. And we're going to New York. And at that time, um, she was, she had a um, record contract with Matthew Knowles, Beyonce's dad. Mm-hmm. So I got to meet him and the CEOs of Google and Yahoo. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. You were exposed to a, a lot. Another world. Another world. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, people from high places. And I was sitting, we were sitting around a table, sitting there taking notes for Walmart, you know, the the head people from Walmart and Google and AOL and all these places. And, and we were sitting in the room where Beyonce would record her songs and we were there till, you know, she was recording her song at the time, her single. Wow. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking of the prophetic word that she had spoken to me two, three years back, you know, that God was going to sit me amongst people of great importance. And we were on our way back to the hotel and I was sitting in the car with her. It was just me and her and the driver. Mm-hmm. And we were in New York and we were driving past these big buildings. And she's like, do you remember what I told, what God spoke to you a few years ago? And she's like, I never thought it was going to be with me, you know, that I was going to expose you to that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, you know, like I started going to places with her and helping her in ministry. And mm-hmm. like, she was just, she was really strict on me, but she was like, I'm toughing you up you yeah. know, all the time. And I was like, oh my God, sometimes I would 
be like, why is she so like tough on me? <laughs> yeah. Like I would have my heels on and if I would make noise, like clack, clack, clack. She's like, okay, Diane, if we were at the White House, you think the president would want to hear your noise? And I was like, oh my <laughs> so God. So she taught you how to walk. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She's like, that's not how you walk with your heels. And I want you to wear this. We're going to go here. So you got to look decent. And, you know, like a mom. Yeah. Like she was my mom, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, time went by and then my son was going to come visit me with some friends mm. and um, I was out of town and I said, hey, I'm going to be there in the morning. This was Friday night. They got in and my roommate picked them up at the time. And so I was like, OK, I'm going to see you guys in the morning. I talked to my son. I was like, love you, baby. I'm going to see you in the morning. Mommy's driving home. We were in South Carolina and we were going to drive back after the service to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And. I was supposed to drive and my friend, which was the assistant to her manager was like, no, I'll drive. I'm not tired. Take a nap and I'll wake you up. What is the, the time? It's like, like a three hours. So probably here to LA. Okay. So not that not, bad. Not that long. Yeah. Huh. And so, um, but it was, it was already like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. We were leaving the hotel after a preaching conference and we oh, had been there for two days and those are exhausting. Those are exhausting. Mm -hmm. And then you were also doing the PA stuff. Everything. Merchant. Mm -hmm. oh, yes, I know. So you're like, go, go, go. Doing green room and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yes. And I was at the on a fast at the time because oh she God. had called a fast Sunday. It was already Friday, but God had, it was so funny because that Sunday morning, um, before we went out of town, I think we went out of town, was it Thursday or Wednesday, something like that. I woke up in the morning, I was getting ready and I heard some, like the voice of God, just, I just felt something like you got to go on a fast. And I was like, for what? Like, you know, there's got to be a purpose. And I just felt like God was like, you got to go on a fast. I said, okay. I get to church. She she ministers that day, and then she calls a fast at the end of service. Wow. So I was like, oh, thank God, I'm already on. <laughs> she goes, I'm on it. So you know, everybody's like, you can have a little bit of tuna if you want, you know, because you're on the go or have some type of protein. I said, no, God said liquids, like you know, straight liquids for me. And so Friday, you know, I hang up with my family, my friends, and I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys in the morning. Yeah. I never got there. What happened? We were on the way back, and my friend that was driving. There was four of us in the car. My friend that was driving, she fell asleep. She she doesn't even remember this, but I guess because we were, it was Dr. Bynum's car. We were caravanning. So it was her car in the front, our car in the middle, and then the media behind us, like the people that did the media and yeah. stuff like that, they were behind us. And I guess um, the driver, she made a phone call to the car behind us. I said, hey, I'm getting kind of tired. I think I'm going to pull over. I'm going to text Miss, you know, so-and-so. So, um, I guess they were like, okay. And they said she hanged up and she never pulled over, but then they just saw the car merging just like the car just started going to the right because in South Carolina, it's, there's kind of like no dividers, it's like one street this way and the other street. And there's no, um, there, there's just like, um, ditches, you know, you just go into the dirt. Like if you're probably like in Tijuana or something, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like the dirt road and it's like the road and then the dirt, you're like in the middle of nowhere pretty much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so they said, I was asleep. I fell asleep because I was so tired. So yeah. I'm like, when she wakes me up, I don't want to be sleeping. So they said that they just saw her rolling to the side and the car just didn't stop. It just rolled over into the ditch. Oh my gosh. And I remember just waking up and the car was upside down. So I was like hanging, you know, because I had my seatbelt on. Thank God. Yeah. And I can hear like a 
like a gurgling sound like to my left which was her and i'm like i couldn't see nothing it was like pitch dark i i think i hit my head so hard that i lost my eyesight because even um i remember i was like oh my gosh you know and it's i laugh about it now but uh, Dr. Biden was always like, come on, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. You know, so I had that like in me, like, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like feeling with my hands, trying to find the the seatbelt to unbuckle myself to try to get out of the car. Did he know what happened? I had no idea. I was like, what happened right now? Like, you, I knew something bad happened because I was hanging upside down. Oh, the car because was, the car, you, you, mm-hmm. okay. So you knew I'm in a car accident. Yes. An okay. accident happened. Did we crash? What happened? I okay. didn't know. Mm-hmm. I woke up to that. Okay. I get it now. And so when I woke up, I'm like feeling and I'm like, what is going on? Like, and I hear that. And I just remember I'm buckling myself and I fell, you know, to the hood of the car. And like they said, you know, when the car is smashed, like the door was smashed, but it kind of opened up a little bit between the the door. It wasn't even the window. It was between the door and, you know, when you slam the door, what is that called? Yeah, like the uh-huh. edge of the uh-huh. door. Like that had crashed open. So it was a little gap. And they said that they found my half of my body sticking out. Through oh, there. my gosh. But that was because I had thrown myself like I took you were trying to get out. I was trying to get out, but I felt like super like weak and just like so out of it. Yeah. That I just remember just laying there and I just threw my hands out and like half of my body was out. And then, then I heard someone calling my name. They were like, Diane, you know, they started calling all of our names. And I'm like, I'm over here. Like, I could barely get a breath out. Like, I was out of breath. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? And I was like, my stomach hurts a lot. And they were like, don't move. So they dragged me, and they're talking to me. They're like, stay with us. And you're in the middle of nowhere. There's no phone signal, nothing. And there's nobody passing by, not one car. Oh, my gosh. And so they're like, you know, everybody began to panic and they're like, what are we going to do? They're looking for the other girls. And Dr. Bynum, she sees a 18 wheeler coming. Oh my God. And she's like, I have to stop this car. This is our only chance to call for help. For help. Because these girls are going to die here. And she says she just began to pray. She went in the middle of the road. She stood there and she put her hand like this, like she stretched out her hand. Yeah to stop the car in the middle of the road. Like oh she, my gosh. And, and she said, she just began to pray and she said, God, if it's my time to go, but it's not her time yet. It's not their time. Wow. yet. They still have purpose. I've already been around the world. I preached. I ministered to thousands. She was like, if it's my time, let it be my, t- let it be my time. It's not theirs yet. Wow. I know there's purpose on the inside of them. She negotiated. with. She, the nego- <laughs> yeah, she said, don't take her. Don't take them. Take me. Wow. And so, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't, I was not alert. Like I was in and out. I was in and out. And they were like, Diane, stay with us. And I remember when I was laying on my back and they were like, Diane, stay with us. And then she would tell me, Diane, you're not going to die here. Stay with me. Yeah. And, um, before she stopped the, the car and I was like, I remember I couldn't see nothing. And I was just telling her my stomach hurts. My back hurts. I can't see you. And I just thought to myself, my son. Like, I, if I survive this, I'm never going to see him grow up. I lost my eyesight. Mm. And I just remember feeling so like he's going to wake up in the morning. And I'm not going to be there. I told him I was going to be there. I haven't seen him for like, this was in June, March, April, May, June, like four months. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's five years old. You know, mm-hmm. he's like wants to see his mom. 
So I remember just being in and out. And so long story short, the 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 18 year pulls over and he's like, are you crazy? <laughs> what are you doing? So the ambulance comes and it's like they take us to this, just like a host, like a basic hospital. It was And, you know, they didn't have technology or anything like that. I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but they kept saying that I was like wanting to throw up, that I was feeling sick. And I, I don't remember none of this. Mm-hmm. And they said, um, we need to get her to a hospital hospital because she's going to die if she doesn't make it to a hospital. We don't have the equipment to help her, to help her. And 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 everybody was panicking, like, yeah. what are we going to do? They yeah. thought at first it was my ribs. Mm-hmm. And um, but they were like, she's complaining about her stomach that she wants to throw up. And um, Dr. Biden said like that I wanted to throw up. So she literally had to hold my stomach. She used her hand to push my stomach. So that way, cause I was complaining so much about the pain Yeah. and, um, the name of the hospital, I used that because even in the midst of that, God was saying he was with me because it was called Emmanuel County. Oh, wow. And that means God is with you. Mm-hmm. And so they sent me to another hospital kind of like a UCSD or something, like a, a hospital for trauma. Mm-hmm. And I re- I do remember them telling me, don't move, we're going to airlift you into a helicopter. Oh, my goodness. So I'm like, okay. And so I remember just they fold my hands and they put me in that bed. And I just remember kind of going up, but I don't remember the rest. Wow. I don't remember getting to that hospital, talking. People said I was talking and I was telling them to pray. And I was like, you know, engaging with them, like not major conversations, but I was having some interaction. Mm-hmm. And so I was there maybe for like a week before I actually woke up. Mm-hmm. And when I first got there, they were like, call her family, call her mom. My mom's in California. I mean, just to get oh there, God. it's like a five, six hour flight. Oh my gosh. And they hadn't called my mom because I mean, they're trying to deal with what's Figure going everything on. out. And my friends and, the fr- and my co and my, and my, um, I'm sorry, my roommate was at my apartment and somebody from the church boom, 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 six, seven in the morning, banging on the door. And they were like, Diane and so-and-so have been in an accident. Yeah. They're like, we think it's just her rib. She's going to be okay. But my roommate and my friends were like, they felt they something does, does doesn't that, feel right. Yeah. And so they called my mom. They were the ones that called my mom. And they were like, Christina, don't panic. Your daughter's been in an accident. We're on our way right now. As soon as we get there, we'll tell you. You know, and my mom, of course, she says she woke up and she just heard my dad just threw themselves on the floor and just started to cry out to God, like, please. And my dad, I remember when I got yeah. home from the hospital, I had like, I don't know how many messages, voicemails. And I remember like, you know, I was curious to see what my what voice they were saying. And it was like so many from my dad. We had answered the phone like they couldn't believe what was going on. Like yeah. they were like, this is like a bad dream. Like, yeah. no, she's not. And so when they got to the hospital, they called her. and They're like, you need to get on a plane now because they're giving her 24 hours to live. You need to you need to get on a plane now. What was your status in that moment? Like, uh, what? what uh, it was not your ribs. What was it? It wasn't my ribs. So when I finally got there, um, they said, well, you know what? There's nothing we can do for her. Her insides, like the seatbelt crushed her inside, like my small intestine and everything. So every, they're like, if we open, she's not strong enough. If we take her to the surgery table, she's going to die there. Because I, I thought you had a surgery. I did. So, so oh. when that happened, they told my family, they were like, you need to get here. And so there was doctors like 24 hours around the clock. And they said, we're going to hook her up to morphine because, um, you know, when you eat, 
and they open you up like that for when you're going to go for a major surgery like anything that they're going to open mm-hmm. you have to be on an empty stomach oh my go gosh. back to sunday that god had put me on that liquid fast i couldn't eat nothing right god had already been preparing me for that and oh so gosh. they didn't the doctors didn't know and dr Biden hadn't even thought about that and so they're like we're giving her 24 hours we're going to put her on morphine so she doesn't die in pain she's in a lot of pain so they were checking my vitals and they're like there's nothing we can do for this girl and um dr bynum was like no you know so she called a bunch of people and my mom was on her way from um san diego mm-hmm. 24 hours passed and um they were like i don't know there's something about this girl but she's fighting for her life the doctor told dr bynum she was like we don't know who she is well but she's fighting and they were like they told her you know, it is up to the person if they want to live, you know, and wow. she looks like she wants to live. She's not giving up. Yeah. So we're going to help Was her. Was that true? Yeah. In the moments that you had consciousness, you were like, I'm fighting this. Well, the last time I remember was, like I said, the helicopter. I don't remember going in the ambulance too much. Okay. But I remember just thinking about my son Your and son. I have to make it. There you, you know? go. So I know that was a fight for me, like. Unconsciously, but consciously. consciously. I think you were, your spirit was like. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what they said. It depends on the spirit of a person if they want to live. That's what the doctor told um, Dr. Bynum. Wow. And she was just like, okay. And she had been preaching the message. He's doing it in the spirit. Oh my gosh. So everything just, you know, now, you know, after everything Mm -hmm. happened, we were like, wow, you know, God was just like in the whole thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm at the hospital. She goes back for Sunday service because the church was like praying for the whole team that was in intensive care. We were in intensive care and they were like, Diane's going to make it, you know, and and they were like, we're going to take her. The first surgery was seven hours. And they're like, most likely she's not going to make it because when we open her up, all the food and everything, all the bacteria and the toxins are just going to spread and she's going to die there. But we're going to try because she's still alive after the 24 hours that we thought she would even last. Mm-hmm. So people were praying and everything. And when the doctors opened me up, they said, when we went in, it was like, they said that it looked like God, like they're like, it looked like everything was lined up and there was like nothing in her stomach for us to be worried about. So they wow. went in and they started working. I had about, it was like a week. They, I was in an induced coma because okay. they said every time I would wake up, I want to pull the tubes out and talk. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it was about eight surgeries, you know, wow. to repair my iliac artery, my small intestine, my colon. They had to do a stent. Wow. They had to replace my abdominal wall. So I was in and out of the surgery, but they were doing it, you know, within one or two days because they had to let me recover because right. I was so weak. Yeah. And so I remember just waking up and i'm like what is going on i had tubes in my mouth i had my hair was just like all with tubes everywhere thank god they didn't shave my head oh Oh my god i would (laughs) cry i was like no yeah but god had a plan there was purpose behind that pain you know there was in the midst of of all of that my sister was that was when she was not serving god she was doing drugs she was becoming an addict to crystal meth and everything Mm -hmm. and i remember she would call me and i would be praying for her and praying for her dr bynum even knew about her because i would just cry out before god every sunday at the altar and even when i was in san diego you know Mm -hmm. you pray for your family and she said she told god on the way to atlanta on the airplane because she knew that i was not going to make it she said god if you save my sister i won't drink or i won't use drugs i won't party no more Uh 
So when God did the miracle and he brought me home and it wasn't an easy recovery, but I mean, God was in the midst of, I couldn't shower myself. I couldn't feed myself. Who who was helping you? So that's what I'm going to get to. Like go back to how I said I was a adult. Pretty much. I had to raise myself. My mom wasn't a mom. She got to be a mom again to me. I was like a baby again. I literally had diapers, you know, she had to clean my face. She had to get me dressed. She had to take me a bath and God brought healing through that wow situation for me and my mom because she took off work and she stayed with me and she had to treat me like if I was a baby again she got healing and I got healing wow in the midst of that because she didn't have that like love and that nurture with me when I was younger because she was not there herself but with all that you know God used that accident to do so much and in the midst of that my sister Gave her life to God. The f- wow. I just was crying. And with God did that with my mom. And I had broken up with, I was still broken up with Jorge. He was there for me. Yeah. And I mean, he used to help my mom clean my bags out. Wow. He took time off of school. I mean, he was in the middle of finishing Southwestern. And he told his professors, I got to go. We were broken up. He didn't even want to come. Mm-hmm. But he said he was, um, you know, um, what is it? Six Flags at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I couldn't even enjoy it. I had to get on a plane and come. And he was there for me. He came home and I couldn't fly yet because I had to wait till I was fully recovered to come home and see my son. Wow. He was there for my son, taking him to school, making sure he had his lunches, making sure he had clothes and shoes while I came home. And it was like about two months. Wow. You were in Atlanta for two months. Because that happened in June. And I didn't come home until August. And the recovery still continued even e- after. E- even after that, it was hard for me to walk. Oh my I mean, gosh. I, it was just, you know, and I couldn't work for a whole year. But God, you know, it's like you don't have hope. Yeah. But those situations and those trials like bring you hope, you yeah. know, because I feel like I lost hope because I was like, wow, you know, I have to go back home home like Mm. i have to abort the mission that god sent me but Mm. no that was part of god's mission like Mm. i went and i received what i needed to receive Mm -hmm. and i came home and you know god began to deal with me and even though it was a hard time because i felt guilty for the death there was a death in the accident Mm. one of the girls didn't have her seatbelt on but they didn't want to tell me because they knew how uh, um you know how How fragile i was Mm -hmm. at the hospital So I found out once I got home and I remember when I came home to San Diego, Mm -hmm. I used to cry every day for like months and feel guilty. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even see her family when I would go visit in Atlanta. I would see them in church and I would feel guilty like if it was my fault. Mm -hmm. And even though I knew like God was the one that, you know, God is the one that gives and takes life. But at that time I was like, if I would have drove, I wasn't as tired as the the driver. I should have been the one to drive. It's my fault. She's not here. She was 19 years old on her way to college. She had just graduated high school. She had gotten accepted to like a fashion school over there. And I felt so guilty. I would literally read her obituary and read the words that her parents wrote and her sisters wrote. Like, I wish I would have hugged you if I knew it was the last time I would have seen you Mm. when you walked out that door. Why did I let you go? Just things that were on the, and I would just cry and cry when nobody was home. My son would go to school. My parents would go to work mm-hmm. and I would stay home and cry. I felt hopeless. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, how did this happen? Like I had so somebody, many questions. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Somebody like 
um, call it survivor guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard of that, but yeah, that's what it probably was. And you feel like, my God, you know, and in the midst of that, like I'm going through that I'm, in my mind, you know, I'm battling with depression about that. Yeah. And everybody's inviting me to share my testimony <laughs> at churches and preaching and praying for people. And everybody was inspired by what God had done in my life. Mm. But I was, I felt so low, mm. but you know, God was using me to bless others and pray for this person you know they're going through this situation or they're going through sickness and so and so is in the hospital let's go and they invite you to preach to this church and god was just using me and it's like man you know god how like i'm so broken right now like Mm -hmm. but thank god i obeyed you know god because it brought me out you know Mm -hmm. out of that pit that i was in like pity party you know Mm -hmm. like well i guess it's not a pity party it's normal it's normal very normal but I was like, man, I need counseling or something. But God was my counselor at that time. And, you know, through that, like, that's when me and Jorge, you know, my husband now, um, we decided to get back together. And, you know, we got married. And I just think like, man, you know, I didn't think I was going to be able to have kids no more. I had a miscarriage when we first got married. And I was like, I was so broken about Mm. that, too. And then a year later... Here comes my Aaron, you know, and then now, you know, I have another one. So I have three boys. I had, I have two after that accident. And, you know, it's like through everything that I've endured, I'm 30, I'm going to be 35 this year, you know, Mm -hmm. but like in the lot, this happened in 2010. So in the last 10 years, you know, the process and the pain and everything that I've gone through, it's like, yes, like God has replenished my hope because I was so hopeless, like growing up, like. You know, you see poverty, you see addiction, you see pain, you see abuse, you know. Unhealthy marriage. Unhealthy marriage, you know, infidelity. Everything that I saw, my uncles, it was generational. It's generational. Mm -hmm. But I always had hope since I was a little girl that I would go with my grandma to church that there was something better. Mm -hmm. And that was God, like, you know, that God voice inside of you that keep pushing, keep pushing, you know, you're going to get through this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like how it says in the Bible, you have the faith of a mustard seed, just that's all you need. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you can't, you don't have all this hope or you don't have like the biggest faith when you're in that trial or Mm -hmm. in that trauma or in that depression or in that pain and that rejection and that, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, because I still go through stuff. My life isn't perfect. We all go through we all stuff. Do. Yeah. You know, but it's like how it says we have this anchor, which is our hope. Our anchor is God, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ that helps us overcome, you know. And it's like even as a mom now, I struggle, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you have that mom guilt and you think like, am I being a good mom? Or I feel like, did I stop ministry because of mm-hmm. being a mom? Am I giving it up? But, you know, I came to understand that I chose to be a, a stay-at-home mom, you know, I because of how I was brought up, I didn't want to be neglecting my kids and being this powerful woman of God out in ministry, traveling and everything. But my kids, mm-hmm. they had that resentment, not because of drugs, but because I was so into God that I was neglecting my kids. Mm. And that's a conviction that I have because I grew up without parents, you know? Mm. So I had to find balance, mm. you know, not fully to one thing but it's like you commit yourself but you're you have that balance in your life like i'm a woman of god i pray 
I do what I can in ministry because I also have a commitment. I'm a wife. Mm-hmm. I'm a mom, mm-hmm. you know, and so I have all these roles that I have to balance. You know, I have friends, you know, and I have my sister. I'm a, like my mom, you know, and so it's like I'm a daughter. And so it's like it was hard. That was hard. That was challenging. To lay that down. To find balance, balance because I was having guilt because I was, you know, my son, you know, my parents helped me out with and I was so young. It was different. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm older, you mature and you start seeing things. But, you know, I think through all that I've been through, mm-hmm. like the thing that I can say for me, it's like how that scripture said, delight yourself in the Lord. And it's like, what does delight mean? It's like it means to take pleasure, even if it's in the good times and the bad times mm-hmm. and the dark times. You know, when you have tears down around your down your face and you don't even know what to say, like mm-hmm. you're like, how am I going to like I didn't never thought that that pain from feeling guilty about that girl that passed away in the accident. Like I never thought that would go away. And now I can talk about it without crying Wow! before people would bring that up. And I would just cry and cry and cry and feel so guilty. Like I couldn't hold it in. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, God healed that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like it's for a season and. I know, I know that I know that it's like, I'm not the only one that goes through that, you know, Mm -hmm. moms go through that, you know, wives go through that, you know, and it's like learning to just apply the word of God. That's like, for me, like the biggest thing that I can say that has brought hope to my life is really like learning to apply it. You know, you don't have to apply like 50 scriptures, but if you grab some good ones that you believe that meant that are speaking to that season in your life. Like for me through the past 10 years, delight. I mean, I've been through, I've shared a lot, but it's like, there's been other, you know, there's been so many dark moments that I felt like uncertain about where I was doing, like what I was doing with my life, mm-hmm. what I was doing with the calling or, the, you know, and I felt the responsibility like, God, you spared my life. I better serve you and I better have a zeal. Mm-hmm. And I do like, I, I love God. Like, like I told my mom, like, it doesn't matter what I go through. Like I might not look like I'm like out there preaching the gospel, but I said, but my ministry right now, it's my kids, mm-hmm. you know, in this world that we're growing up in, That's and, beautiful. you though. know, it's like teaching them to love God, to honor God, to be, you know, healthy individuals you know that they like i mean they're gonna have problems they're gonna go through trials they're gonna go through their stuff you know because everybody does mm-hmm. pastor kids do and it <laughs> doesn't matter yeah you know the enemy is not prejudiced and neither is god like he'll let you go through job experience even if you are the most anointed powerful preacher <laughs> yeah you know so yeah. it's like it's you have to learn you're that living though. in the real world mm-hmm. yeah and so I don't know. I guess that's most of my story right now. I feel like I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm in a season of being a mom. Well, that's wonderful. You know, and I'm enjoying it. It was hard in the beginning because yes. like I said, I felt like guilty, but I'm like, no, I, I made that choice. You know, yeah. like God allowed me because God gives you free will and he's like, you choose this yeah. day, you know, and it's like, I chose to be a mom and a wife and I'm a stay at home mom right now and yeah. I'm enjoying it with its challenges, but I'm learning along the way, like all moms do. We you all know? do, hun. Yeah, it's like there's no perfect mom. You know, no. you can't compare yourself to other moms because they don't have your kids and yeah. they don't have your kids <laughs> and their kid is different. You I know? mean, it, they didn't have, we all came from different bio, uh, backgrounds. Backgrounds. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, but all I can say is like, God is faithful. Thank you for listening to Replenish Hope. If you want to get daily doses of hope, please subscribe and share the hope with others. And remember, hope is for everyone.